welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, a.k.a. the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. And today we talk about a Chiefs win in the divisional round. Reese, we are going to the AFC Championship game once more. Five times in a row, Reese, every time Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, the least that happens for the Kansas City Chiefs is the AFC Championship game. We're, we are the most spoiled fan base. I don't even care. Like, I think it's fun that we're the villains right now of, like, the Bills, the Bengals. Like, if, if you go on Twitter and see how much they hate Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, like, yeah, I would hate us too. Five AFC Championships in a row. We are so excited. Uh, welcome to this podcast. As you can tell, we're, we are a very excited podcast. So we're a Kansas City Chiefs podcast. If you're, this is the first time that you are joining us. But another reason why we stand out in the podcast world is because we also review beers during this podcast. Reese and I both worked in the craft beer industry. So we talk about craft beer, mostly Kansas City craft beer as well. You can go back to our episodes. We're on Spotify. Uh, we're on Podbean. We're on so many different uh, platforms, which Reese will explain right now. But you can go back to episodes, not only us talking about the Kansas City Chiefs every single week and in the offseason, but you can also hear beer reviews from beer professionals, mainly in Kansas City, but also in Colorado um, and elsewhere. I think we even had someone in L.A. Um, so we've had a lot of great things on this podcast. We are actually in the top 30% of podcasts on Spotify as well. So you have come to a great episode. We're going to break down the Chiefs Jags and we're going to preview Kansas City versus the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. And in between, I'm going to review a beer as well. So that's what makes this podcast great. But what's mainly great is the friendship that Reese and I have together talking about some Kansas City Chiefs. Reese, how can people find our podcast? And if they love what they're listening to, how can they donate to us on Patreon? Well, if you like this podcast and want to get more involved with crazy memes, dank memes, every kind of memes and in-betweens, you can check us out on Instagram at Fountain City SM. You can also find us on Facebook at Fountain City SM. And if you really like what you hear and you want to donate one cup of coffee a month to this podcast, Check us out at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where we have outtakes, bonus episodes, exclusive beer reviews, as well as our mini-series, Speedy and Angry. It's a 10-part in-depth deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spinoff, is the latest episode that Alex, the rad Russian, Nikolinko, and I just covered and is now on Patreon for our patrons. So... Fast 9, coming soon. We're about to watch it. Going to edit it. It's going to be great. Patreon.com backslash FCSM. Excellent. Reese, why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you. Um, and tell them about our. Uh, whenever you and I see each other, what is the thing that we do in Kansas City that we enjoy to hang out? I mean, for those of you listening to the first time to this podcast, first off, we got three episodes from last year. You can also check out on this channel, so catch up. Second of all, uh, Armando and I go way back, and one thing we really like to do whenever Armando's in town is go to the greatest arcade bar on the planet. It is a string of arcade bars called Up Down, and we like to hit up the combination NFL Blitz 2000, Showtime, NBN, NBC Machine. And I tell you what, 
we just lay down fat stacks of tokens across the arcade board of that so nobody has next. And we just play game after game after game. And the funny thing is, for anyone over the age of 25 who's played NFL Blitz in their life, you know that game is designed to have final scores of like 55 to 52 and stuff like that. Somehow, Armando and I break the system <laughs> And it's just like the most low-scoring defensive affairs <laughs> like you've ever seen. Like 1990s NFL game. <laughs> exactly. Ground, like, like, like you like can't run in the game, but but for some reason, both of us just ground and pound oh, yeah. Jamal Charles. It's like it's like Troy Aikman's simulator. It's like, dude, Troy Aikman threw for 175 yards, one touchdown, one INT. This game's so real. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Recent, I go way back. Uh, recent, I actually started... Um, as opera singers in Kansas City, and uh, we were at the Lyric Hall for Kansas City for I don't know, like four years together, probably. Yeah, maybe a little right. less, three or four years. Uh, went to school at uh, at UMKC. Go Ruse. Yep, Ruse. Um, yeah, and and you know, Reese and I started watching football together, and uh, we were there with our friend Kyle, former uh, former podcast commentator as well, uh, co co owner or former co owner Kyle, and we all started this podcast because of our love of the Kansas City Chiefs and just hanging out together and here we are today a hundred and i don't know 50 episodes later so you're in for a treat everybody we're so excited let's start breaking it down actually before we break it down reese how was your week you know we're again this is a friend podcast how are things going anything interesting you want to tell the podcast yeah my week was pretty good uh you know i actually got some first-hand information on last week's american underdog episodes i think we've mentioned in the group chat that uh sam esquire is actually a second relative of the warner family family that's right so that's like first-hand account of what's going on uh but that got me thinking some more there were a couple other things i wanted to touch down on in that film that we didn't get to last week so can i talk about some bonus american underdog really quick <laughs> yeah i mean as long as you're like not going to go into the brand of the bread again or like the brand of the like the orange juice and and how much percentage of pulp is in it and how that was different in the 1990s uh oh i see him going like this. a little bit a little bit. So, okay, so here's the thing. Just two quick things. Two quick things. So, one thing in the film that I found really interesting, and I wasn't able to go find arenable footage to verify this, but they make a big deal that in the arenable final, Kurt throws a pass, the guy catches it on, like, the three, he extends out and gets stopped at, like, the one-yard line. And I'm like, oh, this is probably setting us some foreshadowing, because that's exactly what happened at the end of the Super Bowl. Rams-Titans, remember? Steve McNair throws that pass, guy catches it at the five, leans out, he's a yard short. I'm like, oh, that's some nice foreshadowing, some imagery. They don't show the Super Bowl in the film, so I find it interesting that they made such a big deal about that kind of Nostradamus Oracle Adelphi moment right there, and they don't call back to it in the actual Super Bowl game. That's actually huh. a very famous play for. So, interesting thing number one. Number two. I want to go back and talk about the fact that I said, never in my life have I seen a country music line dancing bar in Cedar Falls, Iowa. That's right. Cedar Falls native over here. So I did some research. Oh, no. There's like 20 country bars that you've never been to before. Wild E. Coyote, where they shot this film, you know, that you see it in there, is actually a real place that I think is a bar. It wasn't in Austin, Texas, but it was somewhere in Texas. Maybe it was like in Lubbock or something like that. So that place is real. There was... But not in Cedar Falls. So I, I talked about this with a uh, with friend of the podcast, David, who's another lifelong Cedar Falls guy like me. And I'm like, okay, where 
where is this country bar or where could this have like potentially been set you know to be like it was actually this place but we're calling it this for sake of like cinematography and stuff so we said well you know it could probably be it could be wheelhouse but like wheelhouse wasn't a thing until like 2010 uh, it could have been there's there was a, a club by the mall when we grew up called Shag Nasties. And that used to that went through many different iterations before winding up as a licensed Mac store. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know why it was called Mac stores are so small. How can like a country club be converted? Not country club like in golf, but like a country genre club convert into a Mac store that's what I really want to well, know it's, it's a small it was a small club and like you have to take like with a grain of salt like Cedar Falls dance club style you know so like maybe the size of like a ballroom at like the Hilton you know sort of thing with like a little loft in there anyway we said it's probably that place but being the culture of accountability that Fountain City Sports Media is <laughs> I did some hardcore research saying, where the oh heck did God. they film this? And I saw some interviews with Kurt and Brenda when the film came out saying, yeah, there was this club, Coyotes. There was this club, Coyotes. I'm like, okay, so this place is real. This was a real place. So I dug deep, and it turns out, for my, for my Cedar Falls friends here, which I'm sure is like two listeners, if you go down University Avenue towards Waterloo, there is a... I don't know, five, six thousand square foot restaurant space, not too far from the old High V that's not there anymore. Different High V than Kurt Warner's High V. But you go there, restaurant space. Back in 1994, it was purchased and acquired by a tycoon who made a club called Coyotes. There goes my light in Cedar Falls that was a country music line dancing bar. In 1998, that club was redesigned and repurchased into a restaurant known as Beck's. So for my Cedar Falls contingency, University Avenue Beck's, which I do not believe is there anymore, or it might be the last Beck's, was Coyotes back in 94 when Kurt met Brenda, and that's where that all took place. Fountain City Sports Media, coming right at you. And who else? I mean, not even not even Robert Roger Ebert would have seen that in the film. Only the recent Carnet Bach Lesnar, who does who does just the most articulate and fine detailed work in the industry, found that out. So shout out to Reese. And if you love that, donate on Patreon because of the investigative journalism that we do on this podcast. That was awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, all my investigative research goes into uh, you know my funds for getting good lighting and not having just like a an entire just like barbed wire nest. It didn't of look that bad. No, it, it it just looked like we were in like Pulp Fiction or something, and like it was just a nice like Quentin Tarantino moment. If I if I may. it was for dramatic effect. I mean, somebody I, I I should probably just say like somebody broke in here and like knocked the lights over because they're trying to kill me to stop me from like getting the truth out there about coyotes. It's actually like Kurt Warner and like the guy, the owner of Coyotes. He was like, no. Yep. So anyway, that that was my week. Well, we know a lot about movies and I hope we know a lot about the Kansas City Chiefs because that's what we're going to talk about next, Reese. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27 to 20 for the Chiefs again to advance to the AFC Championship. Uh, 
Patrick Mahomes is five for five going to the AFC championship again an incredible thing but let's break down the game the first obvious thing we need to talk about Reese is Patrick Mahomes injury Patrick Mahomes suffered a high ankle sprain uh, that has been confirmed uh, with his MRI that he did yesterday and miraculously I mean well we can break this down but miraculously Patrick Mahomes says that he feels fine. The athletic training staff says that Pat is doing better than they thought he was going to be doing today, right? So today is day two Mm -hmm. of his injury, um, and they say he's even better than he was before. It's also worth noting that he had the same injury in 2019, and he missed zero games for that injury. Also to note, he scored four touchdowns that next game against the Raiders. Tyreek Hill was injured during that game, actually before the game. So there was no Tyreek Hill, right? And this is of the years that like we needed Tyreek Hill. And Patrick Mahomes, after a high ankle sprain, went in and did four touchdowns. So let's talk about the injury itself when it happened, Reese. I want to know your reaction in real time. Uh, then Pat coming back into the game first, refusing to leave the game. Right, um, uh, Matt Nagy after the game going to one of the going to one of the uh, people I forgot from like six ten radio looks at him and goes warrior and then walks away. Mm. Let's talk about that, Patrick Mahomes, and now what we're hearing from Pat and Andy and the athletic training staff. So I was watching the game with Red Rush and Alex Nikolenko, who is a PT student. I mean, he knows his anatomy inside out, upside down. And watching that with him replay-wise, he's like, oh, dog, they're saying ankle sprain. He's like, I don't see how that's not his knee. And the fact that he got up and his leg was kind of like, it looked like it was dead from the knee below. You know, it was kind of like flopping around like Harry Potter's arm when the bone gets taken (sighs) out. Yeah, it looked ugly. I, I thought he was done for good. So I'll say something about me just accepted the fate of the season and I'm like man I'm like we can probably win this game with Chad Henney but like this is the end of the season but what a great season it was you know this will be kind of fun to see what we can do now with the backup quarterback and to see how far the team can go but when Pat came back out like for the next drive and his knee was all like goobered up still and you could see like he couldn't plant and like he was running like you know a dead horse space I'm like oh my gosh I'm like someone pull him out before he RG3s himself I'm like dead serious please uh, so got taken out Chad Henney comes in does great he goes 5 for 7 for 23 yards and a 98 yard touchdown drive mind you uh, so I was impressed and then I mean just like in the films to start the second half out trotting onto the field is Patrick Mahomes, which I, I think the only thing I can liken this to, entirely different circumstances, apples to oranges, but was when Derek Fisher was playing for the Utah Jazz and he had to get flown in by helicopter from seeing his daughter who had cancer and like suddenly yeah. here comes the conquering hero through the tunnel in the second half and it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. we're saved. And that's exactly how it felt when Pat came back out. And I'm like, you know what? That training staff would not let him out in the field if they didn't think he was okay you know this isn't the dan snyder washington commanders this isn't fedex field this is a good grounds crew and a good training staff and lo and behold patrick mahomes continues to add to his tall tale legend there goes my light again (laughs) i'm so fired up yeah reese i was incredibly scared and normally i am very optimistic about things but in this particular situation i was like take him out of the game I was like, because if anything, I also believe that Chad, for some reason, I felt very comfortable with this game. But at that point, we were tied seven to seven. And like, 
Trevor looked fine at that point, but for some reason in my head, I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, nothing's wrong. I think Chad Henney can win this game. But, like, as I was watching the game, it was still very close until the very end when I rewatched it. Um, so, but at that point, I was like, you know what? I think we're going to be okay. We need him for the second round. Let's go ahead, sit him. And when he came back and he was hobbling just to hand the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco, I was screaming. I mean, I was, I was so upset that Andy Reid and Matt Nagy could let him out there and he's hobbling to hand the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco like what like when Andy and EB saw that and Matt Nagy saw it they did they think he could finish the game I was like this isn't this is ridiculous that we have him out there and and then we see footage of Pat yelling at Matt Nagy EB and Andy saying no keep me in the game don't take me out and I'm just like it's great that Pat has so much autonomy on this team and deserves it right because like a lot of the things that he does his improvisation is the reason why we're so successful but at the same time this could be the achilles heel as well if if andy is too afraid to take pat out because pat's talking back to him i was like that's not good for the team right now i was like because like you said if he gets injured if he gets hit one more time this be this could become the next robert griffin the third so I was I was so upset. I was so I haven't been this nervous since since the first Super Bowl when we were behind against the 49ers and we didn't know Patrick Mahomes could be Patrick Mahomes. I remember I remember being super nervous and at at that point, I mean that's one of the most nerve-wracking Patrick Mahomes things I've ever seen. Um, but then, like you said, he goes back into the tent. Uh, the tests are negative, and then I feel a little bit better because I know a lot of people in our text chain were saying MCL, ACL tear. He could be out for a very, very long time. Um, but at, so at that point, I was going that negative. But speaking about negative, he goes in the, into the uh, to the MRI, gets tested, and he is negative. Then I felt a little better. Then I'm like, okay, maybe if he can come back and he's not hobbling. If he's not hobbling, then everything's going to be fine. He comes back in the second half. And I think the first play of the second half, he runs the ball. Oh yeah, it was it was he, he's a mad lad, dude. Uh, you know the the one like, thing that did concern like me. What like we 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 never do QB sneaks anymore because he got injured during a QB sneak. Yep. So like if you get injured on on this on in the same game, for you to run, Pat is like super ballsy, but also just incredibly horrifying. I was so upset. I've never been so upset, man. <laughs> about Patrick Mahomes. Well, I was upset in the first half because like you said, you know, Pat, when he came out first, he's like, no, I can play. Put me back in. Put me back in. And it was so obvious, at least at that point, you know, when he wasn't like shot up with whatever painkillers and splinted with whatever, you know, magic plaster they have. It's like, dude, it's like, no, you could not go in. So I'm a little concerned that, you know, I think at that point, he didn't do it for pride. You know, he did it because he loves the game. But I'm just like, I'm like, Pat, I'm like, you can't, I'm like, think straight here for a second. Like, you cannot go in right now. You needed that Chad Henney drive. You needed that halftime yeah. rebuild, all that stuff. He could go in, just not right there. So that has me a little concerned. But you know, when you have somebody with the heart of a champion that way, the way he is, you know, you, we've probably seen this. It's getting compared to the Michael Jordan flu game, but it's yeah. like the ankle game now. Yeah, yeah, someone said shoe game just to like just to rhyme. <laughs> what they call the shoe game? Yeah, the shoe game. Oh, get out of here, boo. <laughs> Um, yeah, no. So like, okay. So yes, like my, my parent glasses, me being the like, you know, over, over helicopter parent. Well, not even that, but just being like very conservative in like what we should be doing with Patrick Mahomes. I was very scared, but what he did in that second half 
is flu game worthy. I mean, for him, like it just one example, right? Him in, in the red zone, throwing to MVS on his left foot, jumping into the end zone, throwing that ball was was incredible we we saw we saw the same zip the same accuracy on his throws in that second half maybe even better sometimes i think because he was in the pocket and just had great presence because he had to stay in the pocket i mean uh, a game we will never forget because we won that game but we won it because patrick mahomes was able to stay out there and excelled out there it wasn't like we were like oh pat every every throw like he looked confident. He was like, I'm going to make this throw. And I'm making not only these five-yard throws, but I'm making a 40-yard throw down the field. And and they're going to catch it because I'm going to throw it right in the pocket. And I, I can't imagine the pain he was going through. And he's not even planting on his right foot. He's planting on his left foot and throwing. I mean incredible stuff that you will never see from another quarterback in the NFL right now. Justin Herbert can't do that. Joe Burrow can't do that. Josh Allen, I'm sure we'll talk about later, but Josh Allen can't do that. I mean, what we're seeing from Patrick Mahomes is so special. Um, hats off. I mean, this is great that we're getting this on video. Like the just a, This is a genuine reaction to something that was truly beautiful and miraculous. But uh, uh, Reese, I want you to keep going. Speaking about miraculous, what is your reaction to now, Pat? Maybe not being a hundred percent, but eighty-five percent next week. Um, I'm a little more excited because I think it's going to force us to play a more uh, what's the word I'm looking for disciplined game on offense. You know, you can't account for air pat to Yolo a you know a slam dunk over the goal line like he did in the first game against the Bengals. I think there's going to be less room for improvisation because he's not going to be able to roll out and scramble other things. Yeah. So I'm not saying we pull out the Alex Smith playbook one for one, but the Alex Smith playbook was always great. Just Alex Smith couldn't always come through, you know, and execute and make big plays. He didn't have that extra 10% of, I don't know, that extra something-something that we know Patrick Mahomes has. So I'd say that's what I'm looking forward to. Kind of like you alluded to on one other thing really quick, though, was that Pat's injury back in 2019 with a high ankle sprain was on his left leg. And as he pointed out, okay. this being on his right leg is going to be his plant leg when he drops back and throws. So that will affect him differently than it affected him back in 2019. Whether or not Andy says this one's probably not as bad as that injury was. So it's going to kind of be a little bit of apples to oranges. Wait and see. The big thing is, will the offensive line be able to bear down and keep that pocket clean and Pat's jersey clean when it comes down to brass tacks? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll get into the game a little bit more. We'll get into the the preview a little bit more on um, later on in the podcast. But that's definitely a good thing to bring up. Uh, why don't we talk about some other heroes of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs? Starting with our boy, anything is possible, mm. Chad. Henny, dude. Let me mm. let me look up his stats really quick. Chad Henny, five for seven, twenty-three yards with a touchdown on that on that miracle drive. Talk about the the flu game for Patrick Mahomes. What is this game for Chad Henny, Reese? I mean, really, if we didn't have that that drive in between, but right before the second half, I don't know what the score would have been. Yeah, I, you know, it's that's what's so funny is that so when Henny came in in twenty twenty three in the Browns game. So Mahomes kind of had like two layers of injury that game. You might remember he like got turf toe midway through the second quarter. So he was hobbled and we were no longer super electric on offense, but still able to move the ball. And when he was eventually taken out because of that weird Vulcan neck pinch choke slam thing, right. Chad Henney had to like stop the hemorrhaging in the game for a quarter and a half, basically. And it's like, Ooh, and we kind of gimped across the finish line with that fourth down play. Anything is possible. This go around... 
like I said, I had kind of made my peace and, uh, you know, come to an understanding with this because it's one thing for Chad Henney to hold like a 10-point lead against the Browns of the quarter and a half. It's an entirely different thing to come in in the first quarter and like hold this game off for another three and a half quarters, basically. I'm just like probably asking a bit too much. So thankfully, Pat came back. But while he was in the game, Henney executed wonderfully. He's a veteran presence. He's got a strong arm. There was one pass that probably should have been picked off, but it wasn't picked off, you know, but there's no stats for almost interceptions. And everyone just kind of rallied around him. I felt like people ran their routes more crisply. Isaiah Pacheco burnt off that 39-yard run that he almost took it to the house. We've been waiting for that all year. Huge. So, I mean, hats off. This is why we keep a veteran presence, Chad Henney, on the payroll and as that second-string QB mentoring Pat and mentoring the young guys. Yeah, I mean, again, he looked cool, calm, and collected. Well, uh, things that you don't see from a backup quarterback, and it, he didn't look like he was hurried at all. In fact, I believe that that rollout on third and three that he did to Kadarius Tony is the same rollout play in that fourth down against Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I think it's the exact same play. When I saw it, I was like, this is the same thing Chad Henney did to win the the Browns game. I mean, just like, I, I bet Andy Reid has a, whoops. I think Andy Reid has a set playbook for chad and it's like okay i i know what chad does well let's do this this and this and like you said if if isaiah pacheco didn't establish the running game during that drive that also would have been a terrible drive i mean for him to get that oh man the way he was running i was watching it with with my in-laws and my and my father-in-law doesn't really know isaiah pacheco at all and he was like who is this guy he was like this dude runs better than anyone i've ever seen i'm like I, I know I was like this, you know, Isaiah Pacheco is amazing. And we'll talk about Isaiah and how important he's going to be during the Bengals game. But man, shout out to Chad and shout out to Isaiah Pacheco. Why don't we go straight into Isaiah? Actually, uh, give me just like two seconds to look at what he had. Isaiah Pacheco, 12 carries, 95 yards, averaging almost eight yards per carry with a long of only 39. So it's not like he popped off a 70 yarder. Like he was consistently getting great work back there. And something that Reese and I have been talking about, again, go back to our last 150 episodes. We've talked about if you can establish a balanced running game with Patrick Mahomes, a healthy Patrick Mahomes, we are going to win every single one of those games. But when you have a Patrick Mahomes that needs an established balanced running game especially with a high ankle sprain i mean this this was the perfect playbook and things that we've talked about in the past the reason why we lose games reese is and we've talked about this as well is that pat has to play hero ball look at what josh allen just had to do like i said during that fourth quarter well maybe we'll talk about josh allen later um i said during that fourth quarter the Bengals bills game i was like you know what here comes here comes hero ball josh allen and look what happened and that's what happens to Patrick Mahomes when when we don't play well. So an established running game is what we're seeing from the Kansas City Chiefs. And if we saw it then, I'm pretty sure we're going to see it against the Bengals. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about this game because of what we saw, because of the grit, not only from Patrick Mahomes, but, but from everyone else on the field. And Reese, this will segue into our defense, although I know we can talk about some other people on the offense. But sometimes when Patrick Mahomes doesn't play well, Reese the defense finally steps up. What did you see on defense that you were like, my goodness, it's about time? They have a different gear whenever Patrick goes down or in games where the offense just isn't having it. You know, you saw it earlier this year against the Titans, you know, when they played Malik Willis, like the the defense bore down or even last year we had that dry spell. We played the Cowboys and Chris Jones had that amazing like four or five sack game against them. 
I don't know what it is. If like in the back of their mind, subconsciously, they're all like, oh, don't worry, Pat's got us. He'll bail us out. So they kind of play it like 75% speed. But they were so much more efficient and just more effective at like everything they did this go around. And I don't know why it takes Patrick Mahomes getting banged up and taken out of the game for them to like click into that actual full potential they have. I mean, we, we had takeaways this game, which hasn't been the case for a lot of the season. The defense was effective getting to the quarterback. Frank Clark was back to playoff Frank Clark. like You saw that kip-up he did after he got that tackle. It was incredible. So, I, yeah, I, I'm encouraged by the defense. I think it's, you know, obviously this next week against the Bengals is going to be put up or shut up, so we'll see what they do then. But happy they got us through this game. We couldn't have done without them. Reese, I get so – I said that Patrick Mahomes made me upset because he went in in the game after the high ankle sprain. Frank Clark makes me the most upset I've ever been in my entire life about anything in the world because playoff Frank Clark is real like that. Like, like, you know, the, the Mike, Mike Wazowski memes that you and I always make fun of. Like, don't worry. The Mike Wazowski Shrek will not hurt you. And then we have a picture (laughs) of it. I mean, this is playoff Frank Clark. Don't worry. Playoff Frank Clark isn't real because he sucks in the regular season and hasn't been doing well. He's been injured in 2023. He's not getting to the quarterback. And then all of a sudden we see vintage Frank Clark every single time in the playoffs. And I don't understand why. And it pisses me off so much because he does have that gear that he doesn't bring into the regular season. But fine. You played your butt off this time, and he had a great sack. And like you said, he's, he's got the swagger. He's getting to the quarterback. Uh, George Karloftis wasn't his fault that he was in coverage on that first play, and we can talk about that. Uh, but Frank Clark, or sorry, George Karloftis looking great. Chris Jones still doesn't have a sack in the playoffs, which is crazy. It's crazy that we have this yin and yang, man. Like Chris Jones, one of the best regular season performances in NFL history for him, and then has this game. Frank Clark has an off regular season and has a great playoff. So whatever. At least it got the job done. Great to see them. Uh, we saw Colin Sanders and also Derek Nandi get to uh, to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we have a great rotation right now on the defensive line. And we talked about this for the last couple of weeks that we think that this defensive line rotation is finally getting it. Right. We've seen consistent play from Nandi, from uh, Mike Dana, from Colin Saunders, like these guys that are not the featured guys. But when you give them a couple plays and you put them in these like very, especially in the fourth quarter, like we saw some great pressure from these guys. So I think things are transpiring. And again, we're going to talk about the Bengals game a little bit later. They're out three starters, Reese. Mm-hmm. They're, they're out three stars on the offensive line. Of course, they played their butts off against the Bills. But man, if there's any time for this defensive line to peak, it is next week. So very excited about that. Reese, let's talk about something else. Um, I'm not cold snack taking back this and Reese you can explain what that is later um, Jalen Watson Jalen Watson with a one handed interception who would have seen that coming for those of you that listen to this podcast you know the two people that we bring up on this podcast and say man why are those guys on the field Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams and we always bring these guys up and what do you know? What do you know, Reese? Jalen Watson is the one that saves our butt in the fourth quarter. I'm not going to do a cold snack take back because he like, just didn't really play well in the regular season. But you know what? You showed up today. An amazing interception. Great coverage. It's not like it fell in his lap. He freaking got up for that. And then I think it was even his left hand that he caught that ball to seal the deal to make 
the Chiefs go to the AFC Championship. What do you think, Jalen Watson, Reese? I mean, the whole play worked because you know we got pass pressure right like immediately off the snap on Trevor Lawrence. I can't remember who was bearing down on him, but I mean he was untouched and he's about to just like end his life. So Lawrence had to throw that pass before he wanted to. Didn't get enough on it subsequently because he's on his back foot. And then whoever the receiver was for Jacksonville hadn't even turned his head around, but Jalen Watson had which is something we've been bemoaning for the better part of three, four years in these Chiefs, so they never turn their heads around. He just goes up there, puts a big old bear paw up there, one hands that, brings it down, game, set, match. It was huge and exactly what we needed at that point in time. So I'm very proud of the rookies that we have stepping up and making big plays when it counts down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, incredible. And we'll actually, you know, we'll talk about them later. Um, but yeah, an incredible showing from Jalen Watson. I couldn't believe it. Um, Anybody else on that on on defense, Reese, that really stood out for you in this game and kind of keeps you hopeful for the Bengals game? Yeah, I would say Legarius needed a, a great job after not having his best performance of the year against Christian Kirk and the Jaguars first go around. Second of the team in total tackles, he had a six solo tackles, not to mention Juan Thornhill and uh, Justin Reed also seem to be like finally coming into their own. We've always said we've seen flashes of Juan Thornhill, but he's never been the same since his ACL injury. But this was the kind of game we needed from him. It felt like he was here, there, and everywhere, hitting guys, mashing them down. And Justin Reed, ever since that Cincinnati game, has really been putting the clamps on receivers and has been a field general of sorts for a fairly young secondary. So I would say hats off and game balls to those guys. I think they were a big difference in shutting down this Jacksonville attack. Reese, do you think that this defense just needed time together and that maybe this group wasn't bad to start out with to begin. It's just we had so many inexperienced players like Jalen Watson, like Joshua Williams, Justin Reed, new to the system. Um, who else? I mean, some new people on the front line like George Karloftis. Was it that they just needed time together and that it's peaking? Or do you think there's been some adjustments at the end of the season that's really clicked for them? Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell because since that Bengals game, we haven't really played any offenses of note and even had good games against bad offenses. Like, you got to remember, Denver dropped 28 points on us and 24 points yeah, on that's us. that's true. The other teams we played, the Texans, who they had a good game there. That was the Carl Sheffers, you know, you get a flag, you get a flag every game. Seahawks, not a great offense this year. Raiders, eh, I can't even tell you who their backup quarterback was because it slipped my mind. Uh, Stidham. Stidham, thank you. So... You know, Jacksonville, yeah, they're, they're a solid team. But again, it's like, I think if there were two teams in the divisional round across the NFL that you said, okay, these are the, these are the two teams that I do not see any reality of them winning a Super Bowl under normal circumstances, it was the Giants and it was the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they have talent. I think their yeah. winning streak of six or seven games, whatever it was, is a really good feel-good story, especially after the entire cacophony that was Urban Meyer last year. Yeah. But, I mean, I still feel like they're missing some high-end talent on both sides of the ball. That defense isn't anything close to what it was in the Anakin Ngakwe years, Jalen Ramsey years. Offense is nope. better, but it's like, you know, are you really afraid of uh, Ibram, Kirk, ETN and like Trevor Lawrence it's like you know that's that's like some good players they're probably some good fantasy players in there they'll probably win the N uh, AFC South next year because that division's turgid but it's like are they that good so all this is a way of me of saying I I, I think that 
the defense is starting to show flashes and stepping up in big moments, which we definitely need him to, and I appreciate it. But I'm not mortgaging the farm on him just yet, particularly when we have the 12-headed monster of the Cincinnati Bengals next week. Yeah, I mean, of course, one Jalen Watson interception, albeit, you know, sports in our top 10 interception, is not going to make me be like, put Jamar Chase on him and let's see what this boy's really made of. Yeah. Like, no, of course, I'm very fearful of him. Uh, Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd, right? Like they have a really good, you know, wide receiving core that Jalen Watson's going to have to defend one of those guys, right? Or even Hayden Hurst down the middle. Um, but it was it was great to see, right? Because I think at least confidence wise, I think these I think these guys are really confident. I don't think they're afraid of anybody. You and I are afraid of the Bengals, uh, but I you know I don't think they are. I think I think they're going to come in there really wired up, like you said, Juan Thornhill and Justin Reed. One thing that I've noticed, and again I, I can't tell if it's a scheme thing. Uh, for those of you that know football better than us, please message us in the podcast. But it really does feel like these guys are not on islands anymore, or less frequently, and it looks like we're getting a lot of help and like cover two where we are seeing Justin Reed on the left side or Juan Thornhill on the left side. And when a ball is thrown down the field, it seems like Juan Thornhill is getting there on time. Where beforehand, maybe we are playing cover two, but they were never there on time. Even even if it was like closer to them on the field, it just felt like he was always a step, like both guys, Justin Reed and Juan Thornhill, were always a step slow to get to the ball. And then we had to rely on Joshua Williams or Jalen Watson to play man cover, press man. So I just feel like they're getting the ball quicker. We're seeing a lot of, you know, two, except for the George Karloftis fiasco in the beginning. Um, other than that, like, it seems like they are really getting into coverage and really helping out those guys, which is going to be huge against the Bengals. And again, we'll talk about that later. Reese, where are we on time right now? Because I don't know. Uh, let me just see what we're doing. We're 37, 38 minutes into the podcast. Okay. Okay, uh, why don't we just do a couple more buttons on this game and then we can go into the beer review. Um, anything else that I missed on this? Well, actually, I will talk about one thing. <laughs> me, and, me and my friend used to joke uh, back in high school when Kevin Durant um, like came into the league, Kevin Durant was the most boring scorer in the NBA, meaning that like he can have a 30, 35-point game and there was no highlights to it because he's just a pure jump shooter, right? Like, like we would we would watch him play the Lakers, and it would be like he'd score forty points, and and you would hear um, uh, uh, Kevin Harlan go, uh, and Kevin Durant has a quiet thirty point game night. I feel that that's what we're getting with Travis Kelsey race, mm. where like Travis Kelsey is amazing, and everyone knows it's amazing, and I feel like we are just like. Okay, yeah, like Travis Travis had a 100 100-yard game again and he just doesn't get his flowers every week and I think that and that's my fault too. So I just want to say another great game from Travis Kelsey, but again, it's just like it just happens all the time now and it's not flashy, but like he gets it done and it's just beautiful and I love Travis Kelsey 14 catches, 98 yards uh in two touchdowns, but it, it just didn't it's never that flashy and it's never the like that headline right the headline is a high ankle sprain the headline is oh my gosh our defense is back and like Jalen Watson oh but by the way Travis Kelsey is still the the greatest tight end in the NFL and the greatest tight end in NFL history give that man his flowers with his quiet two touchdown game I mean we, we really are starting to get to the point now where I know everybody loves oh Gronk's peak like two and a half seasons he had you know was it was super cool guys it really was but we're getting more and more empirical evidence that 
Travis Kelsey is the undisputed greatest tight end of all time that we've ever seen this play the position. Speaking of your beloved Rob Gronkowski in 16 playoff games, Travis Kelsey now has over 1,300 receiving yards, which is almost, it's basically the equivalent of one Travis Kelsey season of playoffs and yards right there. He is now tied exactly with Rob Gronkowski for playoff yardage, and I believe wow. it's fewer games. Doesn't quite have oh, Rob yeah. in touchdowns because he can get spammed in the playoffs the way Rob does. But, I mean, at this point, Kelsey's got the 1,000-yard receiving record. Kelsey, you know, is top, was he now top four all-time in yards? And, and Lord willing, it's only going to continue to go upwards. Uh, you know, we're seeing the way that he just has a connection with Patrick Mahomes and he'll shed coverages, all this stuff. I think we're getting to the point that it's getting harder and harder to argue that Travis Kelsey is not the greatest tight end of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's, and, and this is really going to come in handy against, uh, against the Bengals. You know, if, if, if Pat has to drop back into coverage and he can't roll out, Travis Kelsey can still improvise, right? Even though Pat might not be able to, like if Travis does a curl route, like he, he can still make plays happen. And you kind of saw that in the second half as well, right? You see like, like Pat just kind of stuck in the pocket and he kind of like gets his way out of the back of the pocket to the, to the middle of the pocket and to the front of the pocket. But Travis Kelsey's doing stuff to help him out. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, and th that's one of the things we don't talk about it as well. We, well, you and I talk about it, but like national media doesn't talk about how much improvisation between the two of them and how important that's going to be, especially with Patrick Mahomes being limited and not being able to roll out so much against the Bengals. Um, give, yeah, give that man his flowers. Amazing game from him. And I'm just, I'm oh man, that guy's not aging, right? Tom Brady's aging. Aaron Rodgers is aging. Travis Kelsey, that, that guy's not aging. It's amazing. And shout out, shout out to the Kelseys, man. Shout out to the Kelsey family, having him and Jason Kelsey in the NFC Championship and knock on wood, but what, what would that be for for the Kelsey family to have Travis and Jason Kelsey in the Super Bowl? Kelsey Bowl is greater than the Horror Bowl. I'll just say that. <laughs> I would not want to be Travis Kelsey's mom because how, like, who do you root for? You know what she, I mean? She has that split jersey where it's Eagles one side and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Chiefs on the other. Travis on his podcast jokes around and says that his mom does say that Jason is the favorite because Jason has kids and Travis doesn't. Oh, so, like, man. she has grandchildren from Jason and, like, she'll even tell him at Thanksgiving, like, like yep, Jason's, Jason's my favorite because I have grandkids now. That's funny. I didn't know Jason <laughs> had kids. Go figure. Yeah. Oh, no, you have to actually, everyone has to go watch this. You have to go to um, Jason Kelsey's Instagram. Um, he has a, a three-year-old daughter, and his daughter, um, he, has, he has the uh, the, uh, the uh, nanny cam, and after they won, she woke up at like 6 a.m. and started doing the uh, fly Eagles fly chant, like when she woke up. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> cute. That's cute. Yeah, it's super cute. So everyone check that out. We we are definitely a family podcast. I have a almost three. No, sorry. He just turned three months. My 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 Theodore. He just he started he started laughing today, dude. Oh really? First time he started giggling. It was Aww. wild. It's so wild. And I'm glad because I'm going I'm going to Kentucky on Monday. Mm. And I was worried. I'm like, man, I'm I know I'm gonna miss some milestone. I'm gonna yeah. miss something. So I'm glad I got to see the giggle. And then he's also rolling around on his own too, which is really cool. So anyway, family pod over here. Everything's great. Uh, Reese, anything else before we button this up? Go to the beer review. Nah, you can button that up, man. I've got nothing else to say. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, actually, before we leave, I do want to give a shout out to to uh, Trevor Lawrence. I thought I thought Trevor Lawrence did a really good job. I think I, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to be, you know, a Josh Allen 
a Patrick Mahomes or even a Justin Herbert. But the trajectory, if this is only his second year and, and first year in a new system with Doug Peterson, I think a Doug Peterson, uh, Trevor Lawrence duo is going to be really cool in the future. And don't count this team out. Maybe not next year, but like this reminds me, uh, this is kind of hot take, but this reminds me of a young Josh Allen Bills. Maybe even, a, I don't know where we see Joe Burrow anymore now that he's playing really well, but it also reminds me of a young Joe Burrow Bengals where it's like, you're not there. We see we see some things that could be good. You will definitely improve. It's just a matter of how much will you improve and who's going to be in your way because, I mean, the, the Chiefs aren't getting any worse. Um, the Bengals are not getting any worse. We'll see what happens to the Bills, but let's assume that the Bills are still up there. I don't know if they knock any of those guys off in the next three years. Well, you know, as much as I wish I could say, like, I see you guys threatening for the AFC, I think the comparison I drew with these guys, not just because Mahomes got injured, was the Baker Mayfield Browns. Albeit, I think Trevor really? Lawrence is a higher ceiling. But I don't know if we. I was gonna say I don't know if we saw what we see in Trevor that we saw with Baker. Like I feel like Baker made a ton of mistakes. Baker made a ton of mistakes, but. I feel that Baker's Baker had some games where he did play like you know very good. It's like wow, that's a potential future all-star quarterback if we can get it together. Mm. And I think Baker's ceiling is kind of the ceiling we've seen of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is just hitting it more consistently. I think it just comes mm. down to like I said, if they make some serious moves to this roster and acquire some pieces, maybe draft the right guys, I think they could be there. But in watching them, I mean, if if Mahomes was healthy, we were going to win that game like forty four to twenty three. That was going to we we're going to drop yeah. a forty burger on him, no problem. That defense isn't good enough. It's fine. Yeah, defense needs work. Totally. You know, it's like that offense. It has some skilled players, but they're fine. You know, yeah. I yeah, that's that's my take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to say all those is don't count them out. I, I won't say that they're like going to be the next, you know, big team in the AFC. But I think like if they keep the Trevor Lawrence, they keep the Doug Peterson, you know, maybe they see if they can really utilize Travis Etienne. This could be a pretty exciting offense. But yeah, I, not next year, maybe not even two years from now. But I don't know, four to five years. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. And let's see what happens at, for, the, for this podcast, Reese. We just we're gonna put a button on that. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna open up a beer. We're gonna review that beer, talk about it. Um, like Reese and I said, not only are we our Kansas City Chiefs podcast, but we were also a Kansas City craft beer podcast. Reese and I worked in the beer industry um, for uh, quite some time, actually. So we have a lot of experience, and we're looking forward. So why don't you also go grab a beer and come drink a beer with us for this next segment, the beer review segment. Podcast. It's This Week in Craft Beer, a segment of the show where we talk about a story going on this week in craft beer and also review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. This week, for the sake of time, we're actually going to forego the story part of This Week in Craft Beer and just jump straight into the beer review. Armando has a delicious can in front of us. Why don't you give us the 411 about what you're going to be reviewing today? All right, so today I'm going to be reviewing Max Line Brewing's Hazy IPA, so you can see it right here. Normally, normally, ladies and gentlemen, I have a glass that I put this in so we can talk about the appearance of the beer. Um, we're makeshifting this right now. My wife and I just moved to Fort Collins. Uh, we actually might be buying a house very soon, fingers crossed. 
Um, so I don't have glasses with me in this particular location of this house right now. Um, so we're just kind of winging that part. Don't worry, we'll have everything else for you, but just foregoing the appearance part. But here's the can. So Maxline Brewing is a brewery here in Fort Collins. Um, actually, a brewery that I, I didn't really know about. I got this as a gift from my in-laws, um, and I've already had a couple of them. Not today, but just in general i've had it and i've been very surprised it's it's been great um so i'm excited to review this beer for you um the hazy has centennial citra and mosaic hops all right well this is your first time doing a hazy in a hot second isn't it it's first (laughs) i mean i haven't been doing a lot of beer reviews anyway because just like yeah when we moved out here um all the beers that I have in the fridge are beers that just the standard beers that I've done in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Montucky, Odell IPA. Yep. Um, I don't know, like other IPAs that I've definitely done in the podcast. And I just haven't had time to like go to a liquor store, even though up here we have everything. I just haven't had time to like go. Or if I do go to breweries, I'm just not buying six packs or anything. So. No, that's totally fair. It's totally fair. To so it's been a while, man. It's probably been a month. If you go back to like- well, actually more than a month, because in December we did the. Uh, we did the uh, holiday beers. Oh, that's right. That's right. So maybe even November was the last time I did hazies. Oh my gosh, I we went, we went through a string of hazies back in like 2020 when I was still broadcasting oh, yeah. out of the closet. That was a haze city, baby. <laughs> yeah, you, you remember the closet Look at studio? You. Look at us, man. Yeah. Look at you. Look at us. Remember you did the closet. I was in the closet for a little bit, podcast wise. Yeah. Um. And now you got your own space, man. You got the nice. He has the nice bike in the back. Thank you. you got the little plants. Yeah, man. That's right. Uh, Reese and his wife are big plant people, and you can see that right there. Oh yeah. It's like we have all these wonderful plants that you know are poisonous to our dog, so we hide them in here basically. Because. Oh really? You they, yeah, the dog can't eat you, any you, of the plants. You'd be shocked how many plants are poisonous to dogs. It's like everything is. Dude, really? Okay, so I, I understand keeping a kid is like way harder alive, or keeping a kid alive is way harder than keeping a dog alive. But you would yeah, be shocked that well, you have a dog, but it's like the number of things that's like, don't eat this, that's poisonous. Don't eat that, that's poisonous. That can kill them in a second. Call the vet if they get a nibble of this. And it's just like, how do? But plants, I've never think. I, I mean, we are on Bowie twenty four seven, but like, I know some people that are like really dumb with their dogs. It's like, how do? How does any dog anywhere survive ever? These are descended from wolves. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, babies are definitely the same. Like, I will say, uh, actually, uh, just one quick story, and then we could go to the pod. But um, uh, so when my baby was born, he actually had low oxygen levels. Um, so he was on, uh, he was intubated, and we went out to a brewery and had him in the intubator. And and this nurse walks by that was at the brewery, and she was like, she was like, oh, he'll be fine. Take take that thing off of him don't worry about it babies are so sturdy i've i've seen a hundred a hundred babies be delivered and they have low oxygen he's like you know these babies don't worry about them they're they're indestructible and she maybe had a beer or two yeah but there is something to be said for just babies truly are like you know as long as you know there isn't anything tragic or like you've dropped them or anything like Babies are tough, man. Yeah, I can believe it. I feel they're they're, they're built different. Dude, they're built different, especially when they got that puppy in them. Yeah, man, it's for real. <laughs> woof woof. Anyway, Armando, why don't you crack that beer open for us, and I'll tell everybody how we review beers in this podcast. So we right. normally have five categories: appearance, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. Uh, this go around, we will not be doing appearance as reasons we just stated. So, Armando, let's get us going with that. What are the aromas you're getting off of that delicious hazy IPA? All right. All right. Pretty nice. Actually, and I will preface that today, I've already had a um, 
I had like a grapefruit vodka drink, which is really nice that my mother-in-law made. Mm, Very good. Nice. Uh, I say that because I smell a lot of grapefruit right now, and I know it because I just smelled a lot of grapefruit on a drink that I had for dinner. Um, I had a grapefruit with my dinner. Like an actual grapefruit? Yeah, dude, an actual grapefruit. Costco's selling bags of them for like six bucks for like ten right now. What grapefruit, what dinner dish goes with grapefruit? Oh, I just had a sandwich with a grapefruit. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I thought you had like steak and eggs and like also half a grapefruit. I had grapefruit tartare. It was great. <laughs> no, get a lot of grapefruit on this. So it's nice. Um, so grapefruit is nice because you get a little bit of the sweet, but for me, I get predominantly sour notes from, from a grapefruit. So I'm getting a lot of the grapefruit there. I'm partly getting peach. I think the peach is what I'm smelling when it comes to the sweetness. So one of the reasons why I really like hazies, those of you that don't listen to the podcast, I'm a big, big hazy boy. I'm actually more a a lager boy now. I love how it's blurred out like we're not supposed to be. Oh, the branding, yeah. (laughs) Advertising Montucky. There you go. (laughs) Actually, that might be an issue. I don't know. Um, Anyway, um, I'm now like a big lager boy. But back in the day, I used to be a big hazy boy. And one of the reasons why is it just, I, I really feel like hazies are balanced, right? You got the pininess, you got the sour, but you also got the sweet. So right now I'm getting predominantly half sour, half sweet, more so grapefruit and peach. All right. So on a scale of one to 10, what would you rate that bad boy? Um, I will preface that it, it, you know, it's easier to smell these drinks when I pour it into a glass. Um, so it's not as predominant of a, of a smell that I normally get. So how about an 8.6? All right, 8.6 on aroma. Then category number two is going to be flavor. Armando, take a sip of that. Let it sit and let us know what notes you're getting out of that. Are you picking up as much grapefruit on the flavor as you are on the nose? Are you getting more hop dankness, earthiness? Tell the people if they want to know. Taking a second sip. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Centennial Hop is something that's featured in West Coast, right? You get Centennial Cascade and like just your basic, you know, foundational hops. Yep. Um, sometimes with Mosaic, Mosaic gives me a lot of dankness, but also a little bit of the sweet. And then Citra is like very sweet to me. This is very subjective, by the way. I'm sure another beer person would say something different about these hops. Mm-hmm. But for me, like uh, Centennial, dominantly dank, uh, mo- Mosaic, dank, but also sweet. Citra, a lot of sweetness and that grapefruit, maybe a little sour. Um, flavor's really great because I do get a really nice balance of that of that dankness with the sweetness. The sweetness is actually more predominant, and I think that's they probably have a little more Citra and more Mosaic blend than the Centennial. Um Excuse me. Well, I just burped on live oh, uh, air. Sorry. Getting that. That out. I also had Chinese food. I had some general. Hi, wait, how do you say this? General Tao's, Tao's chicken? Isn't it like General So or something like that? Or General So's chicken? Could be. I mean, I'm not. I'm... So the A and the O. So Reese and I, you know, we're not experts, but uh, but Reese and I used to, we used to uh, study dialects. Um, and I just don't know if you'd like to ow for A and O. Anyway. Yeah, Cantonese isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I mean, we're definitely not experts and we shouldn't dive into it anyway. Uh, but uh, I was just wondering, how do you say it? Um, but anyway, I th- I like it because it's, it's predominantly sweet. I love a hazy sweetness, but I'm also getting a lot of the dankness, which is nice. And I think I'm getting the, that from the Centennial. Um, so very balanced beer. Uh, if I had to maybe look like 60% sweet and 40% dank, uh, with a, so I'm not getting actually a lot of grapefruit. I'm actually getting a little more of that sweetness, like vanilla-y, 
uh, peachy flavor, uh, which is interesting, and then predominantly also that dankness, mm-hmm. which I don't get from the grapefruit. Uh, very good, though. So how about a 8.7? 8.7. All right, we're creeping upwards here. Then category number three is going to be mouthfeel. Is that light like water, medium like juice, or heavy like milk? I wouldn't do the same categories as you. I wouldn't say heavy like milk, but it's heavy. Yeah, it's a hazy boy. Um, not very crispy. Uh, very dense. Um, a lot of that peach. I feel like like a peach flavor is very heavy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that maybe a little more dank is actually a little bit more crispy, a little lighter. Uh, but because I'm getting more of the sweetness, that normally means that it's heavier mouthfeel for me. So pretty heavy, and I'm okay with that. I don't think that's bad. Um, it's actually what I would want in a hazy. Actually, I do want a lot more flavor than I would on a West Coast or a hybrid or like a DDH. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Again, solid beer. Not Max Line Brewery is not a brewery that people are like, you know, jumping to go to. But again, when you're in Fort Collins, it's like even the smallest of breweries is like, we'll make a solid beer. So I've been, I'm very impressed with this. Eight. Uh, I don't want to say I, mouthfeel is can get contentious so how about an eight five because yeah my bad all right still within the standard deviation everything else love to hear it and category number four is aftertaste after taking a few sips and giving it some time what's the flavor like on the back side do you still get the same uh similar notes you had on the flavor or are you getting some completely different Pretty similar. Pretty similar. Pretty similar. Um, still very sweet. Still have that peach. Actually, less dank. Less dank. It's actually. <laughs> it might be because of the mouthfeel that I've been like really invested in the sweetness again. The peach, the heaviness, um, the vanilla. I don't know what else I smell. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Maybe some cantaloupe as well. Um, yeah, it, it's a. I don't. I don't get much of the dankness. I don't get much of the um, the grapefruit that we got initially from the aroma. So that's interesting. It's like. It's like, man, give me all the like citra hops. It's all coming down. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, which is which is very interesting. But again, I love that stuff. Go back to episode like forty-five, and you'll hear me go, man, I love the sweetness of this hazy. Even though I'm I'm a lager boy now, I still love my sweet hazies. Tastes pretty good. Eight seven. Eight seven. All right, sticking them right there. Perfect placement. Then category number five, the not-so-secret category we like to call Stonk's Drinkability Quotient. It's a freestyle category, Armando. How does this beer make you feel? What makes this beer stand out? Anything you want to talk about, the floor is yours. Have at it. You know, Reese, let's start with the can art first. So we have um, these colorful hops. These are actually all hops right here, Mm -hmm. all in different different arrays. Kind of looks like a honeycomb, Um, but a very simple... Um, simple what I want to say simple logo with a description which is very nice as well um, so very simple but also like moving out here has been great man like 
I got to move out to Fort Collins again. This is just like a random brewery that's in Fort Collins. It's not your Odell. It's not your New Belgium. It's not even, you know, a super micro craft beer that's getting a lot of news like uh, like a Zwei Brewing, which is a German uh, German brewery here. It's getting a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. It's just a random brewery that just makes a solid, hazy, knows how to blend a good mix of Centennial, Citra, and Mosaic. It's an easy beer, although it's 7.5%. Having a good time right now. Uh, it's still easy drinking, so I like it. It's it's new beginnings for me and my wife and my and my baby. So like it's you know there's just a lot of great things happening. Stunks up to Maxline, stunks up to Fort Collins. Anybody in Fort Collins that listens to this podcast, hit me up. Let's go grab a beer, man. Let's let's go to Maxline. Let's have a hazy and nine point one on Stonks drinkability quotient. All right, breaching that nine. We love to hear it. Well, Armando, thank you for doing your first beer review in a few months here. Everyone's been, you know, just, oh, wow. man, they've been thirsty to hear you talk about things that <laughs> quench your thirst, Armando. Thank you so much. Love me a Citra. Of course, man. All right. Well, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. It's been about an hour. We got a little bit more to talk about in the show. We're going to talk about the Bengals demolishing the Bills. We're going to talk about what that means for Kansas City in this week's AFC Championship game. Stay tuned. Oh man, it's great to drink beer again on the. I mean, I drink beer all the time on the podcast, but just great to do the beer review again. Kind of get those hops going again. For those of you that are new, like 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 we've said, this is a Kansas City Chiefs podcast, but also a Kansas City craft beer podcast, and we love that we can bring both of our favorite things, beer and Kansas City Chiefs football, and bring those to the podcast to talk to my good friend Reese. Oh, love it. Uh, man, so let's round out this podcast. It might not be as positive as what I just said, um, but uh, we'll see what happens. Reese, the Bengals beat the Bills 27-10. to 10. Man. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So we we talked about last week. I said last week I was like, I was like, I don't want to face the Bengals because the Bengals match up with us great. And it's sad for me to say, but I was like, I kind of want the Bills to win. And I was like, on paper, the Bills should win. I think you called the Bengals win. But I was like, the Bills should still win because the Bills play us differently. Like they always bring their A game, but I feel like, you know. It, it it should it should be a Bills win, right? Josh Allen still Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs still Stephon Diggs. Their defense is still very impressive. Um, it didn't go that way. This is this is one of the most shocking. This is one of the most shocking, maybe not beatdowns, but like shocking, like like certified win that I've seen against a very good team. Uh, Reese, what stood out to you about this game? It, it could be pro Bills or like that the or sorry, pro Bengals were at the Bills didn't play well. What what stood out that was like, wait a minute, what? I would say was that the Taylor Huntley-led Baltimore Ravens were able to put more points on the board than the Buffalo Bills, you know, playing at home, which, yeah. I mean, is some serious cause for concern if you're Buffalo. I mean, I've been saying this for the last few years, is that I think Buffalo is very fool's gold. They're very boomer bust. That defense that they love so much has a lot of names on it. But they play downhill football, you know. It's like they get the, the offense goes up ten plus points in the other team. They have to throw their game plan out the window. They become one dimensional. Suddenly, yeah, your defense can you know play really well when you're playing one dimensional offenses. Offensively, I've been saying you know Josh Allen, he's not quite there yet. Not as much as people want to say he is. I think he's got a fantastic ceiling and a lot of high potential. But again, he's very boomer bust. He scores on big plays or he scores by using his legs. But there's not a whole lot of in-between going there. Their running game still is 
almost non-existent. Their medium passing game, not great. Stephon Diggs getting older in that wide receiver room is not as vaunted as people like to think it is. I think this game was an exposure for the Buffalo Bills. And I say that because my wife, who does not watch football, made some observations about this game that were very spot on. She said, Shadow Noel. She said, Wow, the Bengals really seem to be just picking them apart, don't they? And I said, Yeah. And she goes, Why don't the Bills do that? And I said, I don't know. And she says, It looks like they're having trouble playing in the snow. Buffalo should play better in the snow than Cincinnati, shouldn't they? And I said, You would think so. It wasn't the case. And then finally, the cherry on top. Uh, they, I don't know, you probably caught this. The, 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 CBS crew kept like hot miking any Bengals fans they could find whenever the Who Day chant started. And my wife was like, uh-huh. The Who Day, she's like, What are they saying? And I said, It's, it's Who Day. And she goes, That Who Day chant is literally the stupidest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, Dude, you, you and Noel are definitely meant to be. It, it's, it's Who Day, meant to it's be. so stupid. So that's my <laughs> assessment. That's funny. And actually, if we do want to talk about what our wives observed and how it's very similar to what we talk about and we didn't talk about it with yeah. them, Logan, as she, walk, as she walks by, she goes, why is there a team in Buffalo? Oh, yeah. Why is there a team in Buffalo? She was like, and then and then she goes, if they know that they have to play, why don't they put a cover on the stadium? <laughs> and I was like, Logan, I was like. You you have no idea how many times we've talked about this. No, <laughs> on the chat, on the podcast. Hats off to Buffalo. Small markets once make sports interesting, you know. And they're they're an old guard AFC like pre merger team too, you know. So it's yeah. But at the same time, it's almost like Buffalo didn't have a team because I tell you what, I predicted Cincinnati to win. I did not predict Buffalo to just straight up roll over and be ineffective at everything they did. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm going to preface this and say I didn't watch the game from quarter one to quarter four. I watched a lot of the game, but so I can't really dissect it as much as I dis- can si- dissect the Chiefs. But I will say what I saw is what I've seen the whole year, Reese, from, and again, go back to last week's podcast, go back to like two weeks ago. I've talked about this with Josh Allen. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a balance of maybe something is wrong with him injury-wise, but also I think scheme-wise, they've finally figured out Josh Allen. Um, remnants of 2021 Patrick Mahomes offense, too, where good teams figured out how to play Patrick Mahomes. And I feel like people have enough um, have enough film on Josh Allen now that they know how to scheme against him. Uh, the Bengals don't have the best defense. They have good players, but Cam Taylor Britt, who is a rookie from Nebraska, uh, should not be going toe-to-toe with Stephon Diggs and playing the ball like very well, right? That, that, that makes no sense. I mean, there's something schematically that people are seeing and that they are able to stop Josh Allen and put Josh Allen in tough situations to make plays that he shouldn't be making. I think that's been the common theme that I've seen from Josh Allen. I, I haven't been, I haven't seen every single Bills game, but I've seen a lot because a lot of them are Monday night games. They're featured. They're Thursday games, right? Or it's the featured Sunday game. Um, so I, I've seen a lot of Josh Allen this year and something's off, man. Like I feel like he's playing a lot of hero ball. They're not a balanced team, although I guess they've had some pretty good running stats, but not the, not yesterday. I mean, yesterday, Singletary had 24 yards. James Cook had 13 yards uh, with a total of 63, 63 yards on the ground. I mean, if 
if defensives know that you want to throw the ball, they can just drop back and do a cover one, cover two, or whatever, just similar to what they were doing the Chiefs a couple of years or last year. You know, if you have a predictable offense, then that means that they're going to figure out what you're going to do. They know you want to pass it to Stephon Diggs. If you can't pass it to him, you're probably going to pass it to Gabe Davis, right? And that means that you're going to have to beat a team with Isaiah McKenzie. Is that going to happen? I don't think so. I don't think so. They are able to take away your best weapons, and you're going to have to beat them with Dawson Knox. Can Josh Allen do that? Not all the time, and not against a, a hot Bengals team. So what we saw last night is what we've seen this whole year. Josh Allen is throwing the ball way too much, and he's making a ton of mistakes, right? The number one quarterback uh, for turnovers in the NFL this year, which is um, abysmal, right? And I, it's not only injury. I know we have a Bills fan on our chat that said, oh, man, it's injury. Something's wrong with him. No, nah, I think I think people have really figured Josh Allen out. I don't think Josh Allen is completely nuanced, right? I think what he does, his mistakes are extremely consistent. Uh, you know, <laughs> I like always talking about this. You know that that meme about like tough to swallow pills. Yeah, uh, I I have some. I did some digging, more than just Kurt Warner movie digging, but. I looked at Josh Allen's stats because everyone like you is saying, you know, oh, something's wrong with Josh Allen. He's not looking right. What if I told you his stats this year were almost one for one identical for how they were last year? Passing yards, uh, he was only about 130 passing yards below last year, which remember that he lost three quarters of that Bengals game, so I'm sure he'd make that up there. Uh, 2022, passing touchdowns and interceptions, 35 to 14. 2021, 36 to 15. So one more touchdown, one more interception. Uh, you want to go even deeper back? Yardage this year, 4,283. Last year, almost 4,400 even. The year before, 4,500 yards. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what we're seeing with Josh Allen right now is Josh Allen. Uh, you know, it's. I, I think last year people were letting like the last three games of that season really skew everyone's perception for what Josh Allen is and how he's been playing. Because remember, for three games, he played really good ball. Two playoff games, he played near lights out football, perfect football, and it was fantastic. But I'm like, no, that is the outlier. That's not what we've seen consistently from Josh Allen. He has been a boom or bust, high ceiling, turnover prone, decision-making, questionable machine. I have a question because I forgot. Who did the Bills play before they played the Chiefs in the divisional round? Who did they play in the wild they card? They eviscerated that like wet blanket, milk toast Patriots team with Mac Jones. Exactly. So, and and that's kind of I, I, that's to your point, Reese. Is I feel like okay, they they played a Patriots team and they played lights out against a really bad Patriots team. But because it's the playoffs, we go, oh my gosh, Josh Allen is built different. Then he has an incredible game against the Chiefs, but some of the worst defenses that we've had in the Patrick Mahomes era, mm-hmm. right? An abysmal defense that year with, you know, Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman leading, leading the charge. Um, again, helps the lore of Josh Allen where you say Josh Allen is you know and and I'm a victim of this as well where I say Patrick Mahomes is better but gosh darn Josh Allen is very close right if Patrick Mahomes is is 1A Josh Allen is probably 1 1B not even 2 he's probably 1B and it's because of those highlight games it's because of the games that we see that are featured or those playoffs games but if you dissect both those games those are bad de- well I mean the Patriots is not bad defense but those are bad teams, right? 
Patriots is a bad team, and the Kansas City Chiefs defense was bad last year. So that really just that really changes the narrative. And if you go back to again, I don't want this to be a bashing of Josh Allen because I also see Josh Allen having a comeback year next year and just like blowing everybody out of the water. I can see that happening as well. But if you go back to his history as well, like uh, Josh Allen has only been to wait. No, Josh Allen has never been to an AFC Championship game. He's been game? to one. 2020, we beat him. One. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's been to one AFC Championship game, has not won there, and that's his that's his resume. Like, lost in the divisional round. I think he even lost in the, in the wild card round. So when people try to compare with Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes has been to, in every single season, an AFC Championship game at least. Yep. I don't know if it's close right now. I don't know, Reese. I, I would say the only comparison between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes I say or I see is that at his zenith, he does things that I'm like, I don't think there's other quarterbacks in the league that can do that other than maybe Patrick Mahomes, which is a bit of a dichotomy mm-hmm. compared to Joe Burrow, who I'm sure we're going to talk about here shortly. So, like you said, uh, you expect a bounce back year next year from Josh Allen? I'll be curious because if you follow the charts, he's actually been on a slow regression since that 2020 season. So, I mean, is it a bounce back year due next year or is he just regressing back towards the mean? It could be. And I think I think now we're starting to realize how important Dable was to that to that offense as well. Right. We saw Daniel Jones, the resurrection of Daniel Jones, not only Dable, but Mike Kafka. I think we're going to see Mike Kafka getting a head coaching job pretty soon. Um, but I think we're also realizing, like, I think schematically there there is a lot going on. Like, I, I don't think it's it's out of the blue that Josh Allen has the most turnovers in the NFL this year and didn't last year, right? And wasn't that close last year. He was throwing the ball, but definitely not to the rate he was doing it this year. Something's different schematically. Something, people have found something, but also, like, I don't know, man. It's it, it's kind of sad to see because I was looking forward to, like, you know, the two Titans and Patrick Mahomes fully beating a Titan. Um, but maybe I should stop my words because, Reese, the Bengals look good. Mm-hmm. Bengals are pretty freaking good. Um, and I'll preface this, and I'm not doing a cold take. Uh, cold. Sorry, I can a Montucky cold snack take back on Joe Burrow, but Joe Joe Burrow does what he does incredibly and very very good. Right? I don't know what other words I want to say to that, but it's not like he's scrambling left to right. It's not like he's you know um, uh, you know Barnum and Bailey doing some crazy things that we've never seen before. He just he knows his playbook. He's finding his checkdowns. He's finding the open guys. I was I had sent you um, one of the Chiefs analysts. Um, I forgot his name, so sorry I can't quote you directly. But he had posted. He said, "You know what? Like the Bills can't do anything on defense. There are so many guys open on the field. It's it's it's, it's embarrassing for the Bills." And I feel like does that make Joe Burrow, you know, a one of one? I don't think so, but damn, Joe Burrow doesn't make mistakes, and he is like whatever Zach Taylor and him are doing right now. Or uh, I forgot um, his OC, uh, Ben Johnson, maybe is his OC, and I apologize if I forget to get that right. They figured something out. The playbook is working beautifully, and I am not excited for next week. I'll tell you what they figured out is they figured out that having the greatest offensive arsenal since the greatest show on turf in terms of you know skill positions is the best way to go about this. I mean, wow! Look at look at Reese being the hot take, Mondo. Today. No, I'll, I'll say it again though. It's like I, I do mean it. I, I'm not including Joe Burrow in that list. I'm not saying Joe Burrow's Kurt Warner, but I mean, if you look at greatest show on turf, you know they were running Isaac Bruce, Ricky Prohl, Azar Akeem, Tory Holt, and they had Marshall Falk at running back. 
I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. This Bengals team runs three deep on what would be wide receiver ones on at, at the very least half of the league in Jamar Chase, yep. Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins. They have a top 10, maybe even top five tight end in Hayden Hurst. And they have a top 10 running back in Joe Mixon. This team is loaded. Part of the reason why Joe Burrow is so good at getting the ball off, as you alluded to, is that there's always somebody open. He can get the ball off in under three seconds always. because there's always somebody wide open. And that has wait. Joe Burrow doesn't help them get open. They get open by themselves. So, okay, I, I'm sure we got some people right now that's like, oh, he's just being a hater and all that stuff. I was pretty close. This was a, a very unremarkable Joe Burrow playoff game. Uh, again, he was 242 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. You know, I, I think my thing with Joe Burrow ultimately comes down to when I watch him, I don't think I've ever seen a Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow game or a Joe Burrow play where I say, oh, wow, you know, like nobody else in the league could make that throw. That's a Joe Burrow only throw. And I don't think I've ever seen a Bengals game where I say, wow, good thing they have Joe Burrow under center, or I don't think they're winning that game. And I've said that with Josh Allen even. I'm like, wow, good thing they have Josh Allen under center, you know, to like rip this comeback back. I've never said that with Joe Burrow. I think there's a number of quarterbacks you could plug into that team and the Bengals would still be in the AFC title game. I know for a fact you could not say that about the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. No, I mean, again, people might think that you're being very hot taggy, but I, I think those are very, very valid points. And we saw that when the Bengals played the Chiefs in the in the regular season and they beat up on us and not because, again, and, and we're giving Joe Burrow the benefit, benefit of the doubt here. Like if if Joe Burrow was slinging it to Jamar Chase every single play on an island and like they were, you know, connecting like it was the most amazing thing in the world, then I would say yes, Joe Burrow's it. Like you see those throws he's making to Jamar Chase and can you believe Jamar Chase is going up to get him? Like I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He has the weapons to become this like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes quarterback where he can just sling it 60 yards down the field every single time and one of those guys is going to be open it's going to be incredible and Joe Burrow can elevate himself to 1C in the in in the tier of 1A, 1B, 1C. But he's not doing that, Reese. He's not doing that. Um, Jamar Chase, five receptions for 61 yards. Hayden Hurst, five receptions for 59 yards. No, there, there is no Travis Kelsey in this scenario, right? Like He's not spamming these guys and making it, even though he can spam these guys, he's not. Because whatever's happened, again, this sounds like, like a, a Joe Burrow beatdown, but this ends up being a positive. Like Their offense is working. They don't need to do... You know, Jamar Chase on an island one on one every single time. They're finding checkdowns on on uh, Joe Mixon. They're finding Samaji Pirine, you know, is still being a part of this offense as a as a running back too. Aiden Hurst down the middle. Um, T. Higgins on a curl route. You know, it's a Tyler Boyd still. There's just like you said, there's so many weapons on this team and their playbook is very good. And what happened to the Bills is kind of what happened to us during the season. It was like man, we could have won this game, but at the same time, like the Bills did nothing wrong. We're like, they beat us. And I'm just like, what the hell just happened? Um, and that is why I'm scared going into this game race, because there is nothing that this defense is doing that tells me that it's going to be any different. There's nothing that says that um, every single one of these guys is going to be covered and that Joe Mixon is not going to be in the flat and he's going to be open for a check down. Like, and that 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 that's just how this this offense is, and then that scares me about this offense is that 
those checkdowns are going to be there, and I think that could expose this Kansas City Chiefs defense. Yeah, the, the one thing we're not great on yet is uh, playing really disciplined football, and that's what you have to do to beat this Cincinnati Bengals offense. We still have too many flaws across our team that coincide with what are strengths of Cincinnati, which is why I think it's been so difficult for us to close the door on three very winnable games we've had them in over the last two years. Um, I think the, the two things it's going to come down to is we keep hearing about this banged up and replacement offensive line of the Bengals, but how bad is it really? Because Buffalo against that line had one sack and Joe Mixon had 105 yards and Samaji P. Ryan added another 30 plus on there. So I uh, now I to to your point I don't have the stats for it but there is a stat out there again I can't prove it because I don't have it in front of me but since Von Miller has left there has been a rapid decline on that front four and not getting to the quarterback so I don't want to put too much stock into the, into that into that Bills front four um, but you're right I mean to to your point if three starters are out you should get to the quarterback at least I mean, once. at least it's not just us that can't get to Joe Burrow, it seems like. But <laughs> right. I, I think what it's going to come down to is can our front four get consistent pressure and fast pressure on Joe Burrow? Yep. And how disciplined can our linebackers be? Because we can't let Joe Mixon and Samaji P. Ryan gash us for five-plus yards a carry. And we also have to cover those really quick passes that Joe Burrow, we know, likes to do. So I think those will be the two most important parts, even more important than our secondary play. Our secondary should be inconsequential if we're executing on one and two being the front four and the linebackers. Yeah, this is this is where Spag's defense is really um, problematic because a Spag's defense is a gutsy defense, is a defense that has a lot of different blitz packages that has our defensive our, our defensive backs rushing to Joe Burrow. But this is the offense that we can't do that all the time, right? Maybe a couple times, but this is the exact offense where you can't bring your your cornerbacks, you can't bring your safeties, right? You can't bring those guys because Joe Burrow will someone is open because you blitz, right? That that that's just how blitzes work, right? If you're blitzing, that means someone's open. But in a in in a Bengals offense where he is looking for those checkdowns. He wants Spags to run a Spags defense. Mm-hmm. Joe, Joe Burrow's waiting for uh, for Snead to come to the left side. Joe Burrow's waiting for Trent McDuffie. Joe Burrow's waiting for Justin Reed to come run. Um, and that's what I'm afraid of because because Spags is like, nope, you know, we're gonna bl-. and 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 we saw that during during the uh, during the uh, Jags game where we saw us got blown up, right? George Kaloftis gets blown up because he wanted to. Br- I forgot who came. Sneed, I, I think I think Sneed came, which made uh, George Kaloftis go into coverage. Like that's the that can't happen, Reese. That cannot happen against the Bengals, and that's the number one thing that I'm afraid of is that Spags is gonna Spags, and if he does that, then there's gonna be people up and down the field. So uh, to your point. The only way that we solidify win against the Bengals is if we rush four. If we bring pressure, rush four, we stand a chance. If we do all these blitz things and we bring all these other guys, we're going to get exposed and we're going to get in trouble. I mean, you know, it's funny in this day and age of, you know, who's got the craziest, most misdirection-y, high-flying offense. It's like the best defense to counteract all that is just playing very disciplined, fundamental defense. And if you look through their schedule, yep. the teams that gave them the most fits just by playing, you know, plain Jane vanilla defense was the Steelers, the Cowboys, 
those NFC or sorry AFC East teams like the Jets, the Dolphins, uh, the Tennessee Traditional Titans defenses. again. Yeah, unflashy, very sound defenses are what shuts down what is ultimately just a very disciplined, fundamental offense. They don't play with a lot of thrills or frills or misdirections or anything like that. And you, again, you don't have to do that when you have this like Voltron of targets to throw to because just go out there and do your job. And I guarantee you one of those five on the field is doing their job on any given play. Yeah, totally. And and to your point, you, you brought up the Steelers and the Cowboys. Not only are they plain Jane defenses, but they're physical defenses. And that's another another thing that I'm kind of hopeful for, Reese, actually. We've seen a lot of physicality from this Chiefs defense last week and also for the last like three weeks, I feel like. We're finally tackling. We're finally not just like nose diving like NFL Blitz 2000 yeah. and just trying to like get a fumble. Like they're actually getting jerseys. They're actually getting jerseys and bringing guys down. And I feel like if we can do that, rush for, but also play physical defense, right? Because that's another reason why the Bills lost. The Bills did not look physical out mm-hmm. there. It was weird because the bills are a rough defense uh but they they couldn't bring guys down and that was that was strange and that's when i was like they're in huge trouble because that that's a trademark of that bills team so if we can bring the physicality reese and bring you know rush for chris jones wants to get that sack in the playoffs chris jones this is your time get that sack in the playoffs frank clark playoff frank clark george Karloftis. maybe you can't get to the quarterback quickly but you can get we can bring pressure and either uh, collins um sorry colin saunders dana um, or Nandi, one of you guys pop off. If that can happen, I think I think we can really stay in there, Reese, defensively. Um, let's move on to the offense, Reese. This is let's end the podcast with this because this is the big question mark. What does a high ankle sprain Patrick Mahomes offense do to win this game? Well, I can tell you, a high ankle sprain, high ankle sprain of Patrick Mahomes offense had a better QBR and QB rating than Joe Burrow with two legs against the Bills. So, you know, that's unfortunately that's neither here nor there because why I talked about going back to the Alex Smith playbook earlier is that I think that will be our best chance to beat the Bengals is just going to be limiting their opportunities with the ball while making the most of our opportunities with the ball and we can't afford to have, you know, quick three and outs on offense. We can't have, you know, pass, handoff for zero, incomplete pass, okay, punt. Because, honestly, I would say the Bengals are probably going to average at least a field goal on every one of their drives. Uh, this yep. Bengals defense is really coming into their own, whereas last year I think it was kind of a, a weak spot on the team that would come through in clutch moments and had the ability to batten down the hatches. Well, this year you're seeing a Bengals defense that's really figuring it out and is starting to complement that really fundamental offense they have. And that, to me, is what makes them so dangerous. So I think we're going to have to give them a healthy dose of consistent, fundamental football on offense. I don't think we can shy away from the run game the way we have in the past. And I also think we shouldn't be taking too many deep shots. I think it's going to be a matter of taking what they give us and keeping Pat upright. Absolutely. Yeah, well, first and foremost, the reason why they beat us and they beat us twice already is if you rush three and you get to Patrick Mahomes, it's over. Mm-hmm. And that's with a healthy Patrick yeah. Mahomes, Reese. We have a high ankle sprain, maybe 80%, maybe 80%. Uh, let, let, let's be positive, 85% Patrick Mahomes. If they can rush three, it's over at the first yeah. quarter. Like I, I, I love the Chiefs, but if, if, it, if it becomes they rush three, Sam Hubbard, 
gets to Patrick Mahomes, even though their sack is done. <clears throat> Reese, this this to me has to be the Andy Reid game and the Kadarius Tony game. Mm-hmm. If those two things happen, the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl. One, Andy Reid. Andy Reid is probably the best offensive mastermind in the NFL. I won't say NFL history, but right now, if you if you had to get one coach to take you to the Super Bowl with their playbook, who is it? The me, Andy Reid. So Andy Reid, this is your week. This is the week of Andy Reid, and this is the game. This is the Andy Reid game. You have an entire week. You know what Patrick Mahomes' limitations are, and you know what the week. You know what the strengths are of this offense, and how we can utilize this. Because if we had these like high, you know, high athletic six, six eleven, you know, wide six receivers, 11. I think. And I'm, I'm grandstanding. Six, seven, six, eight wide, wide receivers that just jump up and get it. I think we'd, we would be in trouble over this game. But we have the perfect, we have the perfect roster right now, Reese, for a high ankle sprain Patrick Mahomes offense. Because we got gadget play Kadarius Tony. We got a guy that can go in the flat. We got a guy that can run the ball, can do jet sweeps. Guess how many guys we have? We have about three guys that can do that. We got a Kadarius Tony. We got a Sky Moore, and maybe we might have McCole Hardman next game. This is the perfect scenario, like for Andy Reid, to then mold the playbook so that Patrick Mahomes can can get the ball off pretty quickly, right? We have these yak wide receivers. Sky Moore can get his. Kadarius Tony can get his. McCole Hardman can get his. Jared McKinnon has the most touchdowns in the NFL for the last six weeks of of um, of, of the regular season. You think you think Jared McKinnon was going out there, you know, on a on a wheel route or whatever, going out, you know, hail marrying? No, he was Patrick Mahomes getting the ball off in one point five seconds to Jared McKinnon. He's making he's a yak wide receiver. We have four of those guys, Reese. If Andy Reid can perfect this playbook so that Pat can get it out, stay in the pocket, not have to roll out and do all those things, and then if that doesn't work, fine, we'll just improv to Travis Kelsey, we can win this game. I, I think this game is winnable because of those things. We have the roster for this injury. It's crazy to say, but this can happen, and I think Kadarius Tony is the one that gets it done. I say Kadarius Tony, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns and solidify this game. This becomes the Andy Regan era, and everybody goes, "Wow, wow!" They figured out the the Bengals. Joe Burrow is no longer the superhuman, just a regular guy. Chiefs Super Bowl. Let me just do my uh, score prediction, and then you can end it. Score prediction: Barn Burner, thirty-five to thirty-one Chiefs. Man, I would love that to be the case. You know, I. <laughs> All this week, everyone kept saying, oh, we want Cincinnati back, so we get a chance to play Cincinnati. We got to get by him eventually. Not me. I was rooting for the Buffalo Bills because, as we've talked about ad nauseum on the show, Buffalo was a flawed team. And even with the high ankle sprain Patrick Mahomes, I'm like, we can expose those flaws, and we can beat that Buffalo team still. I don't see where Cincinnati's flaws are, unfortunately. And I think the only way we wind up beating an unflawed Cincinnati team is by getting in a barn burner like you said it's like we're gonna have to somehow just put more points on the board than they do because their offense for all its weapons actually isn't that high flying with pat being hobbled the way he is high ankle sprain it's just gonna take one decent hit to have him pull up and be hobbling again 
not like injured and can't play, but you know, we saw it when he had that ankle sprain in 2019, you know, Cam Irving stomped on it on like a routine, you know, just like dropping back to get into coverage thing. And Pat was immobile for the rest of that uh, Indianapolis Colts game. We lost that game. We lost the next week against the Texans as well. And I just think for a team we haven't figured out how to close the door on for three straight trips, I just don't see how we're going to suddenly do it with a 75% max strength Patrick Mahomes. Because because playoff Frank Clark, baby. Well, so that gets to my point on how we beat Cincinnati, which Ah. I think is going to be, like I said, you can't take zero points on any of your drives. All of your drives have to have some time sustained in them, and we're going to have to win the turnover battle. That's one thing we can't afford to even tie with them on. We have to win the turnover battle. We have to take opportunities away from that offense. And we need to get our defense off the field and rested because otherwise they're going to get gashed death by a thousand paper cuts the way the Bengals MO is. So if we do all of those things, I can see the Chiefs escaping this game 29-27. to As it stands right now, I even think this game could get a little ugly in the sense of the Bills game. Uh, and I could see potentially the Bengals beating us uh, 31-16. to 16. Yeah. So, Ugh. I just... I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the big elephant in the room is what you said. If, if Pat gets banged up once, it could be it. Yep. I, I think... Uh, they're, they weren't unbeatable back when we had a full strength Mahomes because Mahomes' legs does add kind of a weird X factor into things, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we, it's huge. And you can, you know, minigun a team into submission the way I think we could have eventually with Patrick Mahomes at full strength. But man, give me some of that magic. Uh, give us the Lamar Hunt trophy back. If they hot mic people saying who day, I'm going to walk down to Arrowhead and beat up the camera crew myself. Those are my predictions. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, we should let Reese go then so that he can get ready for the SWAT team to come in after that prediction. Um, Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I mean, even though we're we're scared, this is going to be probably in the Patrick Mahomes like history book. This could be up there in like, you know, if he plays plays well and he wins. I mean, this could be a story for the ages. So both of us are, we are fired up for this game. This is the obviously the most important game. And I feel, in my opinion, um, this is the hardest team left. This is the best team left in the playoffs. I think this Bengals team is better than the Eagles. I think they're better than the 49ers. Um, and, slight, and because of Patrick Mahomes' injury, I think they're slightly better than us right now. So if we go out there and we pull this win off, I'm, pre- I'm pretty stoked for the Super Bowl. I'm pretty stoked because an inexperienced, again, they're good, but an inexperienced Jalen Hurts team and a Brock Purdy, let's go, dude. Let's go. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm saying this could be just one of the greatest games that we've ever seen, and it could be up there in the Patrick Mahomes folklore. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you if you did, comment on social media. Um, consider donating on Patreon. You know, we do this for, for fun, so um, any any help 
you know, really helps this podcast. We really want to get this podcast, you know, kicking and running. We got so much, you know, firepower. We got so much passion for this. We really love this. We want to see it do well. And of course, we just, you know, we we love hanging out with each other. It's just such, such a great time. So thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for next week because we're going to break down the game, win or lose. And we can't wait to do that with you. So stay tuned. Let's go Chiefs! We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.